May we each of us human beings be and become love embodied, the very love of God embodied, the very love of heaven embodied. No matter the naming of God or of heaven in a tradition or a contemporary manner or a secular manner, usually because we've been wounded from one tradition versus another with inadequate mercy. We begin love embodied with the concept of mercy. Allow yourself to be at ease with your breathing, that you let go of the arguments within your own temperament of causation and mind and character and emotion and body, that you be inwardly and in your embodiment as a human being responsive to God and therefore responsible in every breath, every moment, to the best of your ability, the best of your purpose, the best of your heart, the best of all of your days and ways upon this earth. Not blaming everyone or blaming the Creator, but asking the question within of the next moment into time and space, who am I as love embodied? Who am I as the very love of God itself manifest through me, a human being, embodied, humble, dignified, grateful, with purpose? What is that to breathe and then enact until we become the embodiment of that blessing, which is you, who is you, and only you. There is no one else who can be the enactment of that exquisite perfection of the power of God, mercifully received through your mother, by your father, into you, breathing here, listening to me, with me having the great privilege of speaking in such intimacy. Is it not something that on this day, the day with, upon which we're recording this, it's an autumn day here where I'm in Texas, and I've been with many poignant communications with people in recent days. So bittersweet, babies born, marriages entered, deaths nobly held in prayer and remembrance. So there are babies and young couples and older couples and <clears throat> people who've died and then there'll be a tragedy that crosses my desk, a 12-year-old boy in Palestine an Israeli soldier distraught. And how do we answer the next moment? Crucify him. Poison the Buddha. Attack the Buddha with the mad elephant. And then in that moment, 2,600 years ago, the mad elephant refused to attack the Buddha. 
How did this mystery occur? Well, the power of the one moved eternally, yet in that moment, 2,600 years ago, through a great creature of India or Nepal, and did not obey the wealthy man who insisted, get that elephant, we'll get rid of the Buddha, and no one will think anything happened, they'll blame it on the animal. And for some reason, heaven did not allow that blame. Rather, heaven enacted a most mysterious, miraculous movement of time and space, which is always eternally present. Some of your great scholars of world religions, such as Mirza Eliada, call this the myth of the eternal return. Studying the beings, such as Jesus or Moses, whose destinies seem to be this unmistakable thread of golden light, so powerful that no matter what occurred in within them and in the circumstances all around them, this golden light and great space received the light and sound beyond all of our understanding. And yet, when I speak of this, I promise you, every one of us goes, I know that. I know that place. I know that throughout all time. I just don't remember what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know how to do this. I go, yes, you do. We all do. Every human being in his heart of hearts, in her soul, in every cell of one's personal body, we know how to nobly be the embodiment of love. So it requires then, as the next breath slightly catches, we, parts of us wait to see, is it safe yet, here, now? And when we move in, in that next breath into the next moment, in space, wherever we are, if we allow this to be born in us, this is in Hinduism what is called self-born, with a capital S. The small self of who one is, is yoked, has the yoga in the soul and heart and life. So Hatha yoga, the physical practice of yoga, is just the physical exercise. Not, I don't mean that as a lesser path, but the Hatha yoga we so, so commonly see studied in classrooms is the physical aspect. But the great yoga, the Raja yoga, the yoga of the king or the queen, is the quality of this embodied as purpose, resolution, absolute nobility of integrity, committed to God, representing being a child of God in dignity, in humility. And when we are attenuated to that power of God everywhere, a second movement happens, and this would be receptivity. We begin to receive the Godhead or a universal principle. And that pause of relationship between creator and receiver, or God as father 
and us as child of God or God as mother. I'm, and I'm using the masculine intentionally because I'm going to use the receptive and the merciful as a more internal or yin or feminine principle. So we go to the yang or masculine principle, which has been used traditionally. We could have a whole philosophical discussion about this, but I'm just going to use this as a language of being able to sort of find our way, like turning on an electric lighter saying, I, I need a match to light the candle because I don't have a good enough rock and flint to strike to light the candle before it becomes too cold. We could do that, but that would be another day's discussion. So the masculine and feminine, or the receptive and active, I'm using them as two principles which come together in oneness. So out of the oneness, we have religions from all over the world. And for about 3,000 years, we've studied them is having a masculine or active principle, except for a very few tribes throughout the planet Earth. We've studied, how do I survive? How do I survive? How do I have the next breath? And we tend to identify the principle of God as being active or male or protective. And then the next part of it becomes the in-breath the receptive, the feminine. It's mysterious. What happens when our attention goes to that receptive part rather than the active part? Well, then we're in the mystery of what we do as children of God in the next moment. Okay, so what we begin with generally is our Father who art in heaven or a quiet prayer to Yahweh or we call upon Allah, or we say a sutra to, to the Buddha, or we call on Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, aspects of the divine in Hinduism, or another faith, or another faith, another faith, Satnam, or oh, Wakantaka, great mystery. And in every one of those principles, they are generally masculine, or we'll say, well, they're beyond that, but, but, but when I use my mouth to speak, <clears throat> I take a breath in, and then when I speak out, I use consonants, and I use my cells of my body to enact a principle that is active. And that principle is that, is that male or dualistically active engagement of the cells of the body, which protects us. And then the great mother might ask, protects us from what, dear? And we answer, well, the place in one another where we don't know God yet. And the great mother might say, well, but the baby's coming. Please stop fighting. Would you get me a towel, some hot water? And the men and women with arms, arms of weaponry or arms of money, or arms of power or glamour might say, oh, I, I don't want to help with that baby. Or what is she asking us that for? She's not having the baby. Or how does she know? And a woman like me answers in silence and often walks across the room and gathers the towels myself or the hot water. Or the prayers which will never be broken in my breath or heart 
no matter what occurs on the face of this earth. Because there is purpose within me of what is coming now, now, from eternity through all past, in the present, into the future, into eternity. I am listening. I am looking. I am breathing and I am studying what that great one is doing, what that great one is, what he is, what she is, what they are birthing upon the earth through the sequoia trees and the oceans and the great whales and the human beings. So in my heart of hearts, I am undisturbed as my attention goes to trusting so completely the male principle of God historically in all peoples, not one over another, in all peoples, <clears throat> so that that principle that is next, the receptive principle, is able to receive my next breath in grace, receiving everything out of the void, the enormity of the universe, as if the most perfect child of God were going to be born. Is it a planet, a prayer, a new tree, a dewdrop, a snowflake? a girl, a boy, a person with a gender in between? Is it something I am to care for in what way? Someone I am to care for in what manner? And you in what way? And you in what manner? What are we all universally to be of that power of the name of God, or the name of the cosmos. And then look and listen until we have mothered that which is being born here on the earth through the Father that is what we all turn skyward and say in our ancestors' languages, oh, we call that God. Mm, that was the name they had for it. I learned that from my grandfather. Very few of us are turned to receiving adequately the nature of what is manifesting through God as father or masculine or active principle. Very few of us are mature enough to be with that and then fully receive the equal power of God as mystery, as mercy, as a receptive principle. But if we look at all the great books upon which the historic faiths are based, or the deep philosophies of secular humanists when they are awake enough to open the heart and open the mind beyond their own pretension into looking through the brilliance of the whole cosmos to be a son or daughter or child of that, when we are turned in that direction with everything about ourselves, the path occurs 
And this is what I want us to begin this course with, because as I contemplated this course, I was aware that the suffering I watch in people every day is based on the fact that they don't have the internal spiritual muscular discipline to follow this path because nobody ever taught them how. I've realized nobody ever teaches anyone to do this. And that these remarkable mentors of mine would speak more in the direction of this and teach me by their living example until it just has become the way I live. So one is turned completely to the divine. And because one is so completely turned toward it, he, that, never presents a weapon as a, as a motive or an adequate answer. It's never, never, ever an adequate answer. The classroom is always to be a child of that power of God, paying attention to how he is teaching you through she. He is teaching you through you receiving through God as mother the next breath into the next moment of embodied love. Every single breath. Every single moment. Everywhere you are, always, for the sake of God in every sentient being and in all of creation. And then you're never greater than anyone else. Nor are you less than anyone else. It is really the question Oh, my child of God, could you represent heaven? Would you please in this moment? Will you have the courage of grace to be that most mysterious child of God where you don't then necessarily know what's coming in the next moment? And always it will be an embodiment of mercy manifest. The power of God through you as the mercy of God through you. And then, in the moment, all around you, you'll realize, oh, I understand. The divine is embodying me as my parents of heaven, my path. It is as simple and elegant, dignified and modest as that. My brother and his beloved companion were here uh, visiting for a week, and her mother was recently widowed in July. And she would come in and simply help me with the dishes. or She just would come in, fully on her path. She lost her husband of 65 years. Here she was at 82. And I never saw her miss a moment of her path. It was something to behold. She was so grateful to be here and be invited. For me, there really aren't words to describe what it was to be beside the goodness of this woman. What can I say about her? What could she say about me? We are love embodied. And we are unafraid to face that in one another for whatever reasons. In the engagement of 
the many lessons she would have learned in her years, the many lessons I have learned thus far in mine. Then what begins to be born is an entrustment of God and receiving grace beside one another until there is we, relationship. And until there is union, the universe, the cosmos, the society. So I'm going to encourage a practice in, the, in this retreat. I've used it a number of times in other forms. <clears throat> I took a group of people to northern India and Tibet in the summer of 2000, and um, I had us pray with certain uh, sutras that were dedicated to, to Tara, to white Tara, an aspect of the, of the feminine from the Himalayan Buddhist pathways. And I had each of the women, I gave each of the women a, a, a mala or rosary from the, the Himalayan Buddhist tradition. And I had a particular reason. I wanted us to be in a consortium of trust in the history of the area, its pantheistic roots and in the Bon traditions and in other tribal traditions. And the quality of the present moment and of us dedicating our path as a group of about uh, 25 people coming through the region toward eternity. I was aware that the circlet of a rosemary mala in any faith tradition cannot be broken. So it allows us to form like a string of pearls of our prayer and our aspiration answered by heaven. And I was aware that in the conversations among the peoples of Mustang, Mongolia, the Stans, Nepal, Burma, Myanmar, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Northern India, and all the provinces of China, and up into Siberia, that the arguments politically, the arguments culturally are very historic. In college I studied aspects of how the arguments have gone back five or six centuries between Tibetan Buddhism and, and Chinese politics. They're not new. Neither side is innocent. How do all of those regions become a living rosary? One bead, another bead, another bead, another bead. And then each one is to be responsible to become self-born, birthing through the power of the heavens and the receptivity of noble principles, the next movement upon the string of pearls, the string of beads, the strands of the rosary mala. Usually, not one of the beads is perfect, and this is what becomes our problem with naming God as powerful. We tend to say, well, the one with the most powerful is the closest one to God, or the furthest one away from God, and says, we don't believe in God and we have more power. And one says, well, I believe in God and I have more power. And we miss the point of our own homework. China all too often misses the point of her own homework. And then Tibetan Buddhism misses the point of the historic fall from grace, 
when the Chinese government offered the then figure of one of the three branches of Tibetan Buddhism, will give you power over the other two if you'll side with us to take over China. And then the name the Dalai Lama was given to that soul who made that agreement. And so we're just concluding the horrific knot of that lack of adequate understanding among us all, all of us human beings. How do we unknot that? Until we form a strand of beads, a strand of stones, or seeds, or nuts, or pearls, back into grace. Well, that's each one of us upon the earth. And when we're with us in such a manner, we feel the deepest spiritualized emotion. Oh, I didn't know this. Well then, what shall we do? Well, each of us will practice, turn toward heaven, turn toward God, turn toward the divine, and then receiving in the next breath the tremendous sense of grace, which is mercy. And then on the next bead, toward a Chinese man or woman or person, and a bead on the other side of us, toward a Himalayan Buddhist or Bon person from the Mount Everest area or the valleys of northern Myanmar. Oh, how do I include both of you with me? Would you like some tea? Shall we all get up now? So that the power of heaven is able to manifest through us all what is this I am receiving? And then my next moment is my path. And I am able to be in that great yoga, yoked to this principle in all that has ever been, all that will ever be, all beings, including myself. And the next breath and moment are beautiful. The direction is beautiful virtuous, remarkable, filled with grace. And if we have the courage to embody this through all the cells of our body for the sake of this, it is somehow safe as the next moment in time through this space which you or I occupy to form that rosary or mala for all that is, for all that ever was, all that ever will be, for all beings. And we are thus a father and mother to time and to space and to that child who is coming here to the earth or to that young sequoia seedling or the old one we have recently saved from a fire. And in the aspect of mercy, what we receive from other people when they don't know this practice is as soon as they feel you enter a room or their, their line of vision, their line of sight, or where they can hear you or you're quiet, they'll say something to take up the space with sound 
or they'll look at you and look away, or they'll look at you, who are you? Or they'll turn toward you and immediately form an armored judgment based upon using God or heaven or their tradition or history and what can be remembered as a weapon. Well, this is how this group won the war. This is where my people are greater than yours. I don't know about that yellow dress. You look so much better in a different color. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We tend to close the door thinking there's the power of God and it's in me. And my tribe will win over your tribe and I'm going to cancel you. And I hate this and I can't stand this. And then we fight over the spoils of Mother Earth as she's crying. And I'm saying to people, please bring the bring the towels and the water and caretake Gaia, the baby that is our Earth, the old grandmother that is our Earth, the elder woman, the young bride, the baby girl. And the hearts of the men melt. How shall they take care of this? The women feel, are the men safe? Are the other women safe? No, and neither are you, and neither am I. And yet, if we are constantly, every breath, to the best of our abilities, the students of God, we are letting God occupy the space and the time. We are looking for God in each other, everywhere, every breath, every moment, throughout all time, always, everywhere. And then the power of he, father, grandfather, patriarch, throughout all form, and she, that which is received, that mercy, he and she parent us so that the heart and soul in the present breath into the next breath and moment become a path helping all beings become born of the self with a capital S. We become the embodiment of mercy. In French, translated many ways, I'm, I'm using this because so many people who connect with me speak a multiplicity of languages and I really don't. And so much of what we do is go, well, I'll argue that, that word, what this word means, what that word means. And it means this in Arabic or Spanish or Turkish or Portuguese or Brazilian Portuguese versus a friend who's in, um, you know, a scholar in Madrid who's translating a poem from Spanish into Portuguese. We get caught in the word and then we start fighting through the masculine part of God. I go, no, you don't want to do that. The part that we can say with our lips or think with our minds or read with our eyes is the male part ensconcing the breath. We are trying to receive the state of mercy so we could speak it. We're trying to listen for it so we could sing it or hear it, create it all around us as we have life safely on the earth so we can write it or represent it. So in French, someone could ask, well, what does mercy mean? What's the word? The translation is pitié. Well, I don't know as I think of mercy as really pitying someone, although that is a translation. Le misère, le, mer 
excuse me, the misericord, the misery of the heart, very commonly used in the traditions of Christianity for almost 2,000 years. It's not the misery of the heart for me when we're turned toward God, but it certainly is when we come in with mercy and everyone descends on us. I'm so weak, ineffective. All the soldiers will come in and kill you. Not this breath. Not this moment. Not my prayers for that soldier. Not my place breathing beside that young child in a war zone. Or her mother. Or his father. Or the son or daughter of the soldier. And the great birth of remembrance of heaven toward which we are all breathing embodied love upon this earth, this moment. This is the place where the global civilization is right now. It's why the birth is so hard. We're trying to go back to who wins. I go everyone. Well, God, really. Who loses? I go just the part of the identity of the human being inadequate to allow a universality that includes all the people of our history, all the slaves, all the slave owners, all the people, and ourselves. Translating them from God into God, from history to present. You are from that tribe. Oh, I'm so glad we're meeting here, you in your green shirt. Me and my blue dress. Is not the mercy that we both are clothed warmly enough for this day such a blessing? We of the one tribe that is the human being. The power of the divine to enact through us adequate language that we can understand oneness through our differentiation of words. Another translation in French for mercy is la grâce, the grace. La compassion, the compassion. Or we can start making it active for people who speak in principles that are more dynamic. We say, oh, faire quartier, I will, I will give, I will make quarter for you. I will make a place for you. Right? I will use the masculine part of myself to build safe quarter for you. That would be mercy. No weapon. Hammer and nails. Like the father of Jesus, Joseph. Like the father of the Buddha. Like the little boy who fed the Buddha. Like Guru Nanak like great Jain saints, like Lao Tzu and Confucius, again and again and again. Oh, to make quarter for you, to create that place, that space safely beyond all weapons, that masculine attenuation to the direction that is God, always and everywhere, always has been, always will be. Isn't it the most exquisite pearl of God that in this mala or rosary of the human race today, we can speak about being at a time when this may safely awaken 
in us all here upon this earth that we make safe quarter that our next breath is in the silence that is the mercy of God the mercy of God manifest among us all love embodied